And so I asked you this morning, have you ever witnessed a miracle in the making? Or have you ever been a part of a miracle as it was still unfolding? Well, during this sermon series called Miraculous, we've been taking a look at several of the miracles which Jesus did that are found in the Gospel of John. We started a couple of weeks ago with the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And last week, we heard about Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with just a couple of loaves of fish and a, a few fish that were given to him by a young boy. We've learned that John, the gospel writer, usually calls these miracles signs. Yes, of course, they are miracles which defy explanation except for the supernatural divine power of Jesus. But John, he wants us to, he wants to make sure that we know that these signs point beyond, or these miracles point beyond to themselves. They are signs. The sign that they point us to is that Jesus is the Messiah and that he wants to point us to God. Now, you know that miracles are found throughout the Holy Scriptures, right? And as our two-year-olds and third-graders and seventh-graders who receive their Bibles today they're going to discover that very thing as they hear and read these wonderful stories of God's miraculous power found throughout his word. And in just a few minutes, we're going to hear today John recount the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It is a powerful story, to be sure. Yet even stories about the dead being raised to new life can be found in other places in the Bible, not just in the gospel stories of Jesus Christ. You might remember the story of Elijah raising the widow of Zarephath, son from the dead, in 1 Kings chapter 17. You remember that this young boy became sicker and sicker until the breath was no longer in him. Elijah carried him up to the bed, laid him on the bed, and then cried out to the Lord to restore this young boy's life back into him. And Scripture says that the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life did come back into him. And it was this miracle that helped this foreign woman, the widow of Zarephath, become a believer in the God of Israel. Or you might remember the time that Paul was preaching in the city of Troas. Now, his sermon was a long one. Acts 20 tells us that he was still preaching that sermon when the clock struck midnight. And I'll tell you that if you've got lunch plans today, I don't think you need to worry unless the Holy Spirit does something crazy here. I don't think I'm going to still be here at midnight. But at this day, Paul was still preaching at midnight. And there was a man named Eutychus that was sitting in a window, maybe to catch a little breeze or something like that. And as Paul was preaching, he fell asleep. And he fell out the window three stories down to his death on the ground below. And Paul, I guess, took a little break from his preaching, went downstairs, prayed to the Lord, and restored Eutychus to life again. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, experienced many miracles, signs, and wonders of God in his travels and in his preaching. He recounts one such event in his journal starting on December the 15th, 1742. 
He had been preaching at Horsley upon Tyne, which is near Newcastle, when he and a Mr. Mayrick both became ill because they had been riding outside in the December cold. John Wesley recovered, but Mr. Mayrick became worse. And in his journal entry on the 20th of December, he writes as follows. When I came home, they told me, the physician said, he did not expect Mr. Mayrick would live till the morning. I went to him, but his pulse was gone. He had been speechless and senseless for some time. A few of us immediately joined in prayer. Before we had done, his sense and his speech returned. Now, he that will account for this by natural causes has my free leave. But I choose to say, this is the power of God. So let's take a listen to the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to be start, starting to read this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to the Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus was good friends with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were two sisters and a brother who lived in the town of Bethany, which was just a couple of miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus often stayed with them whenever he was in town or nearby because they were great at offering hospitality. They were good friends, and they fed him and cared for him and took him into their home. Jesus loved them. But Lazarus had taken ill, and we're not exactly sure what that illness was, but it appears to have been a pretty serious illness, serious enough that the sisters sent word to Jesus that someone he really cared about was sick. Their message to Jesus kind of reminds me of the story of Mary and Jesus a couple of weeks ago at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. You remember the wedding, the wine went, ran out at that wedding, and Jesus, Mary turned to Jesus, and she just gave him a message. They've run out of wine. She didn't ask him to do anything particular about it, but there seems to be an implied message that she thought he would do something about it. Martha and Mary send a similar message to Jesus that their brother is sick. They don't say, you've got to come quickly. They don't ask him to do anything. But there seems to be an implied assumption that Jesus will come. And so Jesus initial response might strike us as a little bit strange. He doesn't leave right away to go to his friend. Instead, he says, stays two more days right where he was. He tells the disciples who are with him that Lazarus's sickness is not going to end in death, but it, that it will be used for God's glory. 
You see, Lazarus' illness will be an opportunity that could be used to point people to God. Have you ever prayed for something, but it just didn't seem like you were getting through to God? Or that maybe He wasn't hearing your prayer? Or that maybe He didn't want to answer your prayer? As Lazarus grew more and more ill, I wonder if any of those kinds of thoughts or questions ran through Martha and Mary's minds. Because let's face it, it's hard sometimes to wait patiently for the Lord to act. We're not born with patience, are we? We're not even prone to patience. We have to work hard to develop it. Oh, I should correct myself. Rather, we, uh, we have to allow the Holy Spirit to work that in us because patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We can't get it on our own. We have to let the Holy Spirit develop it in us. So it's difficult to know why God sometimes waits to answer our prayers. Maybe it is to develop our faith. Maybe He is working other things together for our good. Maybe we just cannot see the bigger picture that only God in His infinite wisdom can see. Sometimes when God waits to answer our prayers, we may be tempted to believe that we've lost favor with God or that somehow God doesn't love us anymore. But this passage has good news to teach us and remind us whenever we might be tempted to think that way. It tells us God loves His children. It tells us that. We may not know why God delays sometimes, but that delay does not equal a loss of God's love. Verse 5 tells us Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And so after this two-day wait, Jesus tells the disciples that They're going to go see Lazarus now. And in verse 11, Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and that he's going to him to wake him up. Jesus is using the word for sleep euphemistically, of course, as another word for death. But the disciples misunderstand this, and naturally they think that sleeping will make Lazarus get better. Let's face it, resting does help us get better when we're ill. What does your mother tell you when you get sick? Get plenty of rest and drink lots of fluids and and eat healthy, right? What's interesting to note is that the word John uses to say that sleep will help Lazarus feel better, recover, or heal is the same exact word used elsewhere in the New Testament to mean salvation or deliverance or to be saved. It's that Greek word sozo that we explored together in a sermon series about a year ago. And so perhaps we could hear the disciples say, Lord, if if Lazarus sleeps, he will get better. Or we could hear Jesus say, yes, but if he dies, it will reveal salvation. 
This wordplay has a double meaning that is setting the stage for the future encounter between Jesus and Lazarus. And so Jesus arrives outside of Bethany, and I'm picking up again in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Martha is the first to go and meet Jesus when she hears that he has come. Hearkening back to the message that she sent to Jesus several days earlier when Lazarus was still sick, not dead, Martha makes a statement that both expresses her faith that everything is possible through Jesus, while at the same time expressing her complaint or giving voice to her question about why he didn't come sooner. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again, she expresses her belief in the general resurrection of the dead in the last days. And this was a common belief held by the Pharisee sect of Judaism in Jesus' time, not by the Sadducees. And I'm sure that it was comforting to Martha to be reminded that one day she would be reunited with her brother Lazarus. I mean, even today, this offers the Christian a lot of comfort and hope in the face of the death of a loved one. Yet it doesn't mean that we don't also experience the, the pain and the, the sharp loss of grief when someone we love dies. This is what Martha is feeling and experiencing. She believes in the resurrection of the dead in the last days. But what she's really going through right now is she's missing her brother who's lying dead in a tomb. And then Jesus makes the most profound life-altering I am statement in all of John's gospel. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is saying to Martha, you don't understand. I'm bringing you life right now. The dead will live again, but even more importantly than that, belief in Jesus brings eternal life right now in the present. Eternal, abundant life comes through knowing God. And when Jesus prays a couple chapters later in John 17, he says, now this is eternal life, that you may know the one and only true God and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. When we believe that Jesus is the Son who reveals the Father, we are connected to the conduit. That conduit is Jesus Christ who gives us abundant life. Well, Martha then proclaims that her belief in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and Martha's confession of faith is the very same belief that John hopes to elicit from every other reader, from every other hearer of this account between Jesus and Martha and Mary and Lazarus. It is the sign that the miracle points to, that Jesus is the Christ and he holds the power over death and life. After Martha expresses her belief in Jesus and makes her confession, she goes and tells her sister Mary that Jesus is near. And Mary goes out and meets Jesus and says word to word to him the same words that her sister had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus is deeply moved He's grieving right along with the friends that he loves so much. He's not removed from or separated from their pain. He feels it too. And he's not removed from our pain either. He feels it deeply. He weeps with us. Even though Jesus already knew how the rest of this story would unfold, he still entered into the pain that his friends were also experiencing. And he knows the end of our story, too. And yet he is present in the midst of everything that we are going through in this present moment as well. Jesus asks Mary where Lazarus' tomb is, and she tells him to follow her and that she will show him. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, and he has been there for days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. When Jesus arrives at Lazarus' tomb, he is first of all confronted by that large rock that had been rolled across the opening of the grave. Typical of this time and place, the tomb is really a cave, either a natural one or one that has been carved out of the limestone rock of the area. And then a stone is rolled and seals up the opening. It is the sealing of the tomb that puts a real stamp of finality on the burial of a dead man. And Jesus commands that that stone be rolled away. 
And I want you to notice that Martha is no longer referred to anymore as Lazarus's sister by John, but she's the sister of the dead man, emphasizing once again that Lazarus is not sleeping, even euphemistically, he is dead. Martha interrupts Jesus as he begins to bring forth this miracle. Lord, she says, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. You see, the Jews didn't embalm their dead like the Egyptians had done for centuries. Instead, they used spices and perfumes to anoint the body, and then they wrapped it in cloth. You'll remember how later, after Jesus had been crucified, the women went to the tomb to anoint his body with the spices. And they had to do that on the first day of the week because when his body was taken down from the cross, it was already the Sabbath. And they couldn't do work like anointing a body on the Sabbath. And so Lazarus now has been in the tomb four days. And even the best perfume in the world is not going to be any match for the smell of a decomposing body. Even Martha's profound statement of faith in Jesus had not prepared her for what was happening in front of her very eyes. Jesus lifts his eyes to God and he prays a prayer of thanksgiving. It's not a prayer of petition. There's no need for Jesus to petition God because he's living in the constant communion with God. There's unity in the Godhead. And so as Jesus lifts his eyes to God, he also directs our eyes to God. Remember, these miracles are really signs that point to something else, the reality that Jesus is the Messiah, and they move us to acknowledge the power of God at work in the world and in our lives too. These miracles point us to God as well. And then Jesus calls Lazarus forth from the tomb, and miraculously the dead man came out, his body still wrapped in the burial cloths. Jesus has raised Lazarus from death to life, giving him victory over the death that had laid him in the grave. And in this story, we see and witness Jesus' power in the most powerful way that we can even imagine. This final miracle, which John's gospel shares with us before Jesus' own passion, death, and resurrection shows us the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to, to everyone who believes in his name as he called Lazarus out of the grave and restored him from death to life. Jesus fully shares with God the power over life and death. And this marks the beginning of a new age, the age where death no longer has the final word, where death can no longer separate us from the presence of God, the age where death is reduced to nothing by the power of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus' own death and resurrection is the fullest expression of his great love for the world and his love for you and me. And it demonstrates for us his power over death and life, over resurrection and life. Jesus gives us the victory over death too, and it starts with our confession of faith, just like it did for Martha. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. 
that confession of faith unites us with Jesus Christ and it unites us with God the Father. And for believers, that means that we live even though we die. And we live and believe now and we never die. It is life in its fullest now and forever. And we are invited to a vision of life where we remain in the full presence of God during this life on earth and in the life to come. You see, our life with God starts now with believing and it never, ever ends. Jesus' final words to the men standing and staring at this newly resurrected Lazarus, still standing there with his grave clothes on, is take off the grave clothes. Let him go. Lazarus was alive again, yes, but he was still bound in his grave clothes. He had some baggage from his past experience that he really had to get rid of that needed to be ditched. Jesus calls all of us to profess our faith in him as Savior and Lord, and to come out of our graves and live. And it's not just about going to heaven when we die, although that's an amazing promise that we can give thanks for. But in addition to that promise is the amazing promise that he offers us abundant and full life now. Jesus wants to offer that to us right here and right now. Putting our faith, trust, and belief in Jesus as Lord frees us from the bondage of sin and the penalty of death. But we live in a fallen world, and we all have some grave clothes that still need to be taken off so that we can live and move and breathe freely and joyfully. So whether you are bound in the pain of a hurtful relationship from your past, or the inability to forgive someone who hurt you deeply, or even an addiction that is hard for you to overcome. Jesus wants to unbind you and set you free. He loves you. And even if he seems to wait, that will never, ever change his everlasting love for you. Jesus wants to awaken you to a new and abundant life both now and for all of eternity. So let us walk in the new life that he offers now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you making our own confession of faith that you, Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the resurrection and the life. You hold the power over hell and death, and you offer us life, both now, right here, today, and forevermore, and that nothing can separate that um, from us because of your great love. Lord, we thank you for this story of Lazarus, and help us to remember it as we move forward. Use it, Lord, as, um, for what you intended, as a sign to point us to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and to point us back to God. Help us to use the miracles in our life, whether great or small, um, to point others to you as well, Lord. We'll give you all the thanks, all the praise, and all the glory for you alone hold all the power in the world. We pray this in the strong and powerful name, the name above every name, even the name Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people said, amen.